Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and welcome to the Jewel Network. The Jewel Network is a radio frequency of continuous streaming knowledge and wisdom, which promotes and sustains the activation of the present evolutionary process of immortality and the unfolding of the God Self within the evolving planetary society presently on planet Earth. Network is committed to teaching the sciences of life and the science of living. By cultivating the mind of a scientist, you will be able to extract the very best the current century has to offer. You're listening to the Hygiene for Humanity Show with your hosts, licensed nurses, Sharon Cole. Join Sharon here every week on the Jewel Network, brought to you by thejewelnetwork.net. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Hygiene for Humanity. I'm Sharon Cole, and I am here to bring you the science of hygiene. And I come here each and every week on the Jewel Network, where we are broadcasting the science of life and living. And we welcome you to our show. You know, so today I thought I would just share some of my nursing experiences with you. I spent uh, over 25 years working in the healthcare system, and probably 23 of those 25 years I worked in a cardiac intensive unit, and I got to see a lot of things. And Uh, An intensive care unit is an intense place, and it's nowhere that you want to be. So uh, anything that I can share with you to prevent any of you, uh, any of my listening family out there from having to be a patient in the healthcare system, I am happy to share with you because I've seen uh, people at their worst, and, you know, it's, it's not a good It's just not a good place to be, and you never want to be in that position, nor do you want any of your family members in that position. So, you know, prevention, prevention, prevention is the way to go. And God has given us an incredible immune system. Care of it and treasure it. It will keep us healthy. And a healthy immune system has to first begin with clean, healthy thoughts. So it all starts in the thought realm before it manifests in the physical body. So, you know, what you see manifesting in your physical body, one way or the other, you basically attracted that to yourself and you created it. So, um, you know, mental health. Mental hygiene is important as your physical health and your physical hygiene. It's always mind over matter. Anything that manifests in the physical reality, it's always started in the thought realm first. We live in a thought dimension. So it's always about our thoughts. So, you know, clean, healthy thoughts will 
you know, may essentially maintain a clean, healthy body. Now, you do have to know how to provide proper hygiene to the body. Thinking clearly, thinking uh, clean thoughts and always doing your best takes you uh, very far because you're going to attract to you what you are thinking about. So if your thoughts are that you want to do the right thing, you want to be in alignment with the divine order, with the universal order, yeah, there is such a thing as universal order. And oftentimes the laws of our society or the laws of man are not in alignment with the universal order. And it sounds... um, far out there, but it actually is a very simple thing. And I'm going to talk more about that. But before I do that, I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back. 100 years ago, it was not conceivable that we could control all forms of matter with our thoughts. Hi, I'm Dr. Jewel and I know that sounds incredible and together we can explore this and many more incredible scientific realities through my latest book, Straight from the Heart. It's an exciting outpouring of information that you will read and explore over and over again. Get your paperback or ebook copy of Straight from the Heart today at www.thejewelnetwork.net. Welcome back to Hygiene for Humanity. This is Nurse Sharon here, and today I am sharing information with you about my nursing experiences. So before we went to break, you know, I was mentioning how we live in a thought reality. Everything that we think about actually will manifest. And I think that's very pertinent for us to know because oftentimes we find ourselves thinking about what we don't want to happen. So if you're focusing on what you don't want to happen, what do you think you're going to get? You're going to get what you don't want. So it's so powerful for us to be able to control our thoughts, and that is actually called focus. And the reason I mention that is because as a nurse, I would, you know, encounter many patients, and some of them would always, you know, be talking about uh what they didn't want to happen and how, oh, they knew this would would happen or they knew that would happen. And guess what? That's what they brought to themselves and they lost their health. Our medical system is uh, basically struggling to see all of the patients that are entering into it. You know, so many people in our society are afflicted with some type of ailment. It's really amazing. Um, You know, I'm always stressing that we are the first physician for ourselves. And I'm always amazed at how people will easily, you know, see themselves as vulnerable and become patient. You know, my thought is, you know, you don't go to a surgeon unless you want surgery because the surgeon is trained to cut. So, um, you know, people, I've heard many 
people complain about ailments and when you offer them a simple solution that they should try and basically you tell them to focus on seeing themselves well, they just can't fathom that. And I know that part of it is because of the high stress and fast-paced society that we live in, we are conditioned not to go within. But the answer is truly within all of us. There is nothing that we can't heal um, in our bodies. You know, most people think of cancer as something that is so bad and, you know, the body gets chemalized and radiated in order to treat it. When the answer is truly to build the immune system and let the immune system take care of the cancer or whatever it is. But so many of us don't trust. We don't trust ourselves. Now, if we were made in the image and likeness of God, then we are divine beings. And how do you tap into your divinity if you don't even believe in yourself? And know that you have an incredible body that has an incredible immune system that can, it can heal itself. So I remember, you know, taking care of a woman uh, when I was working in the system and she came in with heart, um, she had some heart condition and she needed open heart surgery. And if I remember correctly, I think she had clogged vessels. So she was coming in for a bypass surgery. A melanated woman, highly melanated, and she really wasn't that old. She was in in her 50s. Now, she had been, she had breast cancer at uh, some point in her life, and I think it had been about 10 years before that, and she received uh, radiation and chemotherapy. And she, you know, seemingly had recovered from the breast cancer. So now she comes in with uh, needing bypass surgery to her heart. So then when the surgeon went in and took her to surgery, he really couldn't even operate on her because all of her organs in her chest, her lungs, her heart, was stuck to her chest wall because they really didn't know how to dose the radiation. And they really dosed her really high, and it essentially melted the outer layers of the organs so they adhered to the chest cavity. So, yes, her heart was able to beat, and, yes, she could breathe, and I'm sure she had some diminished capacity, but, you know, her, he cut into her and, you know, she almost lost her life on the table. She did make it out of the operating room, but she could not uh, receive bypass surgery. So, you know, even though they, the radiation is used as something to, you know, obliterate the cancer, her dose that they gave her didn't know how to regulate it. And when new procedures come out on the market, even though doctors are trained to perform these procedures, it's basically uh, you learn by experience. And unfortunately, the, what uh, they learn on are human beings. So there are always some casualties. You know, so that just left an impression on me because, you know, she was never the same again. 
And even though she made it off the operating room table and made it back to the unit, her outcome was not very great. So, you know, I say this to let everyone know that, you know, we are the first physicians for ourselves and we have to trust that our thoughts are um, basically changing our blood chemistry. So if you're able to maintain good thoughts, high vibratory thoughts, I should say, because good is relative. If you're able to hold high vibratory thoughts, every cell in your body is resonating at a higher frequency. So you do have the capacity to heal yourself. You know, we've we've been conditioned to think that, you know, the help is coming from outside of us and we got to eat this and we got to eat that. And yes, what you eat is important. But, you know, we truly are solar beings, which means that if we're able to elevate our thought to a higher level, to a higher vibration, you can heal yourself by getting energy from the sun. I mean, if we have dominion over all things, if plants can take in sunlight and water and make chlorophyll, you know, if you look at the chemical structure of chlorophyll, it's very similar to melanin. And every human being on the planet has melanin. Some have more than others, but if you didn't have melanin in every cell of your body, you wouldn't be able to live on this planet or even in this dimension. So even people who appear to not have a large amount of melanin in their skin, it's present in every cell in their body. So the sun is actually providing us with nutrients that allow us to keep ourselves healthy. But, you know, we've been ill-informed because, you know, the our medical society is based on a monetary system. So if you think back, um, you know, before the AMA, the American Medical Association, came into being, the first doctors um, in this country were the naturopaths. And the naturopaths were... Um, doctors who used plant substances, herbs, uh, healthy foods to heal the patients. But, uh, and a lot of, if you if you do the research, a lot of the patients actually preferred the naturopaths over the allopaths because the allopaths were doing really some barbaric things like bloodletting. You know, if the patient came to them with a particular complaint, you know, it could have been a bad cold or whatever it was, their idea was that they had, their thought was that the patient had bad blood. So they would do bloodletting. And believe it or not, one of the founding fathers of this country actually uh, died because of that. And I remember reading the story about George Washington being out on his land um, working and um, clearing land. I'm sure he wasn't doing it alone, but he was actually doing physical work on his land and started to rain and he got wet. And he came in to eat. He didn't take off his wet clothes. And after he ate, 
he went back out to continue working. Now, you know, that just kind of seems not so smart to me that you would be uh, exposed to rain and your clothes are soaking wet and you, you know, don't change them. But, you know, we uh, presently, you know, each person probably has several suits of clothes, but, you know, back, you know, in the early 1900s, uh, even in the 1800s, people didn't have as many suits of clothes as we have. So for whatever reason, he went back out to finish his work after dinner in his wet clothes. And, you know, when he came back in, his immune system had taken a blow. And he developed fever, chills. He became very ill, and they had to call the doctor in. And when the doctor came, he he bloodled him. He actually bled him, thinking that he was getting the bad blood out, and he actually bled him to death. And now that's the story that I read of how he lost his his life. So you can do the research and check it out, but I just find that incredible. And that is really not um, made public. You know, many they don't talk about that when you hear about George Washington. That's not what you're going to hear about him. But when you do the research on, you know, actually how he died, he actually, he was bled to death. So a lot of the, um, a lot of people did not go to allopaths in the, back in the 1800s and the early 1900s. They preferred the natural paths because even if you didn't get better with the herbs or the uh, supplements that the natural paths gave you, it didn't kill you. But uh, I think it was with the invention of the x-ray machine, and that was thought to be so amazing that um, you could actually take this x-ray and see right through someone's body. And it was thought to be a moneymaker. Some very smart people got together and formed the American Medical Association. And then what they did is actually discredited the naturopaths and called them quacks and because they got big businessmen who had money to buy into and support the AMA. They basically put the natural paths out of business, and eventually it came to the point which we, where we are now that uh, if you go to see a natural path, it's not covered by your insurance. People will, not, will choose not to go to a natural doctor because they have to pay out of their own pocket which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, your health is priceless. It really is. So, you know, it's basically, um, it's the way the system has been set up, and it's, it does not have the patient's best interest at heart. You should be able to go to um, any type of um, physician, doctor that you um deem necessary to provide you the care that you need, if that means that, or even a therapist for that matter. So you think about the way uh, the busy schedules that we have. Why, why shouldn't everyone be allowed to go to a massage therapist to help with their stress reduction and it be covered by your insurance? As opposed to going to the psychiatrist and getting a prescription that's going to um, sedate you which is basically shutting down your brain, but to put you in a sedative state so that, you know, you're, you're not even thinking about what you're doing. Um, 
because it's shutting down your brain. So you can't truly problem solve. You're in a fog. You know, why shouldn't every um, patient or every person who um, is part of the, whether you're part of the, the working force or not, go to a reflexologist. And a skilled reflexologist would be able to work on your hands and your feet and find out where your weaknesses are. If their hands are really trained and they're paying attention to your reactions, every organ in your body is connected to an energy path that is going to end in either your fingertips, palm, or your toes, or the sole of your feet so they can tell which organs are weak and then they can work on clearing up that energy path. I mean, that is what the acupuncturist does and that is what the acupressure does. It basically tones the meridian and thereby tones the organ. There's so many natural ways that we can keep our body and keep our organs toned and keep them functioning at their optimum to keep us all in in good health. So I'm going to pause for a station break. And I'll be back to share some information with you, so please stay tuned. Let's change the world together. Let's bring greater peace, intelligence, and spiritual connection to our lives. All this and much more can be yours by enrolling in Dr. Jewel's Balancing Program. In as little as 15 minutes a day, you can enjoy the physiological effects equal to eight hours of meditation. For more information and to sign up for my revolutionary mind-enhancing brain-balancing program, please visit drjewelsbalancingprogram.com. Hey, welcome back to Hygiene for Humanity. This is Nurse Sharon here, and I'm sharing information with you about the science of hygiene which involves uh, us being able to apply the proper care to each system of our body to keep this body functioning uh, strong and efficient for a lifetime. So, you know, being a nurse for over 25 years, I, I have seen many things in the ICU. And like I mentioned before, I worked in an open heart unit. And one of the things that I was... Hmm, maybe always a little uncomfortable with was organ transplantation. So I've seen, you know, many people who came in with weak hearts and had to actually live on a machine until a heart became available for them. And I worked with several of these devices and one common thing that I always saw with all the patients, they suffered from a lot of depression. You know, most of them were uh, unhappy with some aspect of their life. And although one of the criteria for getting a transplant was that they had a psychological evaluation. But from what I could see, they were basically checking to make sure the patient had a strong support system so that when they got their heart transplant, that they had a support system at home to support them. Not so much uh, what their status revealed, you know, why they had um, 
why were they depressed? What what happened to them in their life? There was no uh, treatment for that. And, you know, the way I look at it is that because each of the transplant programs is federally funded, they basically have to keep their numbers up. So they have to do a certain amount of heart transplants each year. So, you know, one of the, I would have to say, the most memorable and disturbing things that I saw was a 16-year-old boy coming in who was told, his mom was told by the doctor that he had um, what they call cardiomyopathy, which is a condition wherein the heart muscle becomes progressively larger, but it also becomes weaker to the point where it is not pumping effectively. And what happens to those patients is that uh, they end up having poor organ perfusion. So the heart, as it gets weak, is not uh, capable of supporting a good blood supply to the liver, to the kidneys, to other uh, organs of the body. So those organs tend to decline in their function. So, you know, the goal was always if that was happening with the patient, they would put what they called an assist device in. Um, which are known as VADs, V-A-Ds, ventricular assist devices. And so this young man came in. Um, he didn't get an assist device, but they did a match and found they had a heart for him. And he came in and had his heart transplant. But what was disturbing to me was the fact that he, number one, was 16 years old, a very, you know, healthy-looking, melanin-dominant teenager. And his mother said to me that, oh, he's been out playing basketball with his cousin, you know, up until the day before he came in. So, you know, that just, like, raised a red flag for me. So, you know, I asked her, well, was he short of breath? You know, how was he doing? And she said, no, he was doing fine. He really had no symptoms. So I just found that hard to believe that you would let someone take out your child's heart and put in someone else's heart because they told you that the child's heart um, wasn't healthy, even though they didn't display any symptoms of it. But, you know, she was actually afraid that at some point his other organs would not become, would not get enough blood supply and then he would have a multi-system failure. So, you know, she's thinking that she's doing the right thing by getting him a new heart before he started having symptoms. And, you know, that just really didn't make sense to me. You know, and especially based on the fact that now that you have someone else's heart in you, you're going to have to take immunosuppressive drugs which are drugs to to suppress your own immune system for the rest of your life so that this other person's heart, that your body doesn't reject this foreign heart that's in your body. So along with the immunosuppressive drugs that you have to take for the rest of your life, and those drugs can be toxic to the kidneys, can be toxic to the liver, 
Not to mention they have to take a daily regimen of antibiotics, you know, usually give them a pill known as Bactrim. That, that may have changed now the, which, back, which antibiotic they're using, but they get an antibiotic pill. Uh, they get steroids to also uh, suppress the immune system. The steroids are very hard on the joints, very hard on the bones. Oftentimes, these people end up getting hip replacements. They have knee problems, knee replacements. They have, uh, you know, all type of joint problems because that's what the steroids do. That's one of the side effects of the steroids. But they use them as an immunosuppressive. And then they have to have blood work drawn every week. And what I would see is that in regulating the immunosuppressive drugs, they often started very high. Patients had very bad reactions to them, whereas their kidneys would start to fun- start to, you know, not have as good a function. The kidney numbers would decline. And then they would, you know, monitor the blood work and say, oh, we need to back off on that. So it really is not a, an absolute science. It's, uh, you know, they're learning as they go. Some of the drugs they find that, you know, um, they remove it from the regime because a, a new drug comes out that's better and they find that that one had so many side effects. I mean, I remember some of the patients who we used to actually have to crush their pills and give it to them down a tube because they couldn't take it by mouth. And, you know, as nurses, we went and crushed these pills all the time in the med room and the powder's going up in your nose and then, you know, years later, five years into it, we find out that, oh, those drugs are harmful to us from crushing them because we're breathing in the powder. So then, you know, they took that duty away from the nurse and it was done in the pharmacy under a hood where all the fumes or the dust would be sucked, I guess, outside in the air for the general population to breathe in. But, you know, nurses get exposed to a lot of toxic things. And it's often years later that you find out and uh, a lot of nurses um, have suffer with uh, miscarriages. Um, I've even uh, heard of some nurses who've had, you know, deformities in the fetus when the fetus was born. You know, so we're exposed to a lot of things. And time goes on, you know, you learn, but it's trial and error. So... You know, I went into nursing because I wanted to help people, not to basically be uh, a pill pusher, which, you know, that is part of the job that I never really enjoyed is, you know, giving the patients a whole lot of meds. I was always um, the nurse who wanted to provide a more holistic uh, type of care because I would find that some patients, you know, really if you spent time with them and and talk to them and um, provide them the care that they don't provide to themselves or allow themselves to get, sometimes it's just, you know, you're helping them with their bath and you're giving them a therapeutic back rub or you're um, providing foot care. But even though I wasn't a trained reflexologist, that's what I was doing when I, um, you know, did their foot care 
some of the the things that you see, I mean, I've seen patients come in, and when I look at their feet, I can't even believe that they could put shoes on those feet, the way their nails look. And a lot of the the nurses, the attitude was that they're not touching them. But um, my thought was that I'd rather put gloves on and put on a mask and soak the feet and get them clean and... um, exfoliate them and, you know, give them a a therapeutic foot massage. And sometimes they would be so appreciative. You know, I remember, you know, uh, taking care of a woman who came in, a young woman. She had, uh, she needed a filter put in because she was having, throwing clots from her heart. But, you know, I would go in and and talk to her because she didn't have a lot of, she didn't have a big totem pole full of IV pumps. And so I'd have time, spend time talking to her and while I was giving her her meds and giving a lot of physical care, and she really appreciated that. So when I wasn't working, um, had some days off, and when I came back, she was asking for me. So I went in, and she was asking me, why am I not her nurse? And I'm like, well, you know, that's... I just didn't get assigned to you today. There's really no reason. And she said to me, you know, no one does what you do. And I was really, like, taken back by that because it was a compliment. Yes, I appreciated that. But I just couldn't believe that, you know, because she didn't, she wasn't very needy in the fact that you had to be in there because uh, she was breathing on her own. She didn't have a lot of IV pumps, so... You didn't have to attend to the machines every half hour, every hour. So, you know, the nurse probably didn't go in the room. And, you know, when she said that to me, I was just like, you know, wow. What do people do when they go into the room with the patient? You know, and I I understand because I see both sides that the nurses have a lot of uh, work to do and they have a lot of charting to do, but it's a human being. So, you know, at nurses, if you, if you, you know, look back and read about Florence Nightingale, one of the first nurses, what Florence, what Florence did is um, she was on the battlefield with the soldiers tending to their wounds. And when she saw, this was in Europe, and when she saw the, I'd have to, for lack of a better word, the hospital, because it really wasn't a hospital, but when she saw where the soldiers went for their care, once they got hurt, she started a whole reform and cleaned up the place because she found that most of the soldiers died not from their wounds but from lack of hygiene in the hospital that they had set up. And she started a whole campaign and trained other women to be nurses so they would come in and keep the hospitals tidy, keep them clean, keep the patients clean, and she brought it right up to um, the authorities. I'm not sure who was who was reigning at that time in England, but which queen it was or whatever. But um, she had legislation passed, and she actually raised the standard of nursing. So nursing didn't come about um, the pharmaceutical companies. Nursing originated with around hygiene and keeping the environment of the patient clean and keeping the patient clean. And that also has to be extended to talking to the patient. 
and, you know, exchanging information with them and finding out, you know, what, what do they need. It's not just about taking care of the IV pumps and taking care of the monitor and doing a lot of documentation. Um, yes, documentation is necessary, but that's, believe it or not, one of the things that uh, one of my least favorite things to do. And not that I didn't like to document, but I always found that when I had a very busy patient or someone who was physically uh, in need of a lot of IV meds, and so I would say, well, they have a whole totem pole in there. And when I say that, that's because they have probably three or four IV pumps on a pole, and each one of those pumps is running three different medications. So you have maybe nine medications. You could have more than that, but at least, you know, six to nine medications running, so you have to make sure the medication is the right medication hanging. you got to know the rate. There's a, a monitor above the patient's bed where you're monitoring the heart rate, you're monitoring the blood pressure. You may also have to monitor the heart pressures. You've got to monitor the ventilator to regulate how they're breathing. You have to um, regulate and see, make sure that the that they're getting enough oxygen by looking at the pulse oximeter. So it's a lot of machines that you have to look at. So as the years went by, uh, me working in the ICU, it's just like there were, I would spend literally, depending on how many uh, pumps I had and how many different machines there were, you could spend uh, 45 minutes to an hour just looking at the machines before you even got to look at your patient and do the physical care. So, you know, that's why I say you have to be the first physician for yourself. When you notice changes in your body, you have to pay attention because your body will talk to you. You don't want to end up being a patient in a hospital, especially when um, the system is so overloaded. I would have to say there's so many uh there's so many people in need of a hospital bed. Um, you hear about a nursing shortage, which I'm really not sure that that is true. I, I I do believe that there's more of a shortage of good nursing instructors. And that was something that that I find interesting too because if you become a nursing instructor to train nurses to become excellent nurses, um, you know, you get paid less than working at the bedside, which is why you don't have as many nurses going into the training of other nurses. So, you know, I can't stress enough that each and every one of us has to be the physician for ourselves and for our family. So prevention, prevention, prevention is the way to go. With all the high technological things that can happen in a hospital, and I've seen it in the ICU, that um, things just keep getting added and added and added. And you can get lost, you know, or you're, I should put it like this, you're so deep in the forest that you can't see the trees. And I say that to say this, that there is a fine line, and some people don't see it, between promoting health and prolonging death. Because when you have uh, 
multiple systems that are being supported by machinery. And when the the biggest organ of your body, which is your skin, breaks down, it's really um, it, it's really the the beginning of a downward spiral, especially in the hospital, because if you can't move your body in the bed, the hazards of immobility are just really great. You know, I've seen um, patients who can't move themselves because they're so sick and, you know, so then they have to have someone come in, either the nurse or the nurse's aide, to turn them, um, and it's usually every two hours. But, you know, you lay in one spot for two hours and see how your body feels because even when you're sleeping, you're moving. You know, you're, you're making little subtle adjustments to your, um, to your body. So especially if you don't have a lot of meat, a lot of fat, a lot of muscle on the bone, um, the skin breaks down. So when the skin breaks down, you know, that's part of your innate immunity. Your skin is uh, a barrier to keep infection out. So when the skin breaks down, your first line of defense is, is breached. And then that really becomes a problem. So I've seen, you know, patients that have been on their back, um, and in a short time, the back of the head, all the bony prominences are under pressure. The coccyx, which is the tailbone, the heels. You know, if you're laying on your side, then you're at risk for the hip bone on either side to be under pressure, or the elbows. So... Uh, when the when when the nutrition is bad, because if you can't eat, you're getting liquid food, which uh, is really not substantial. You can't move yourself. The immune system is already compromised. So it's just a whole huge setup for multi-system failure. So, you know, it's so important to be able to maintain your health. And as many things that I, as I saw, in the hospital and saw, you know, people really at their worst, I was always still grateful that I could walk out of there every morning when I got off and that I was not laying in that bed. So no matter how tired I was and what I had to do when I got home, I still had to give thanks that I was leaving. And I just couldn't imagine having to be in that bed watching nurses come and go, doctors come and go, and you can't leave especially if you can't even breathe on your own. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, mentally patients are in a bad state. So you don't want to go there. You really don't. So prevention is the key. Mental hygiene. You know, we have to realize that, you know, you have to identify with the God in you and know that you can actually change anything. So with that being said, I'm going to take a break and let our sponsors come and speak to you, and I will be right back. You're listening to The Jewel Network, justifiably enchanted with enlightened living, on the web at www.thejewelnetwork.net.
Welcome back to Hygiene for Humanity. So I've been sharing with my listening audience some of my nursing experiences, and I hope you can really extract and appreciate the wisdom because your health is to be cherished. And in order, you know, feed the body healthy foods, think clean, healthy, high thoughts, get up and move, move that body, you know, um, exercise, even if you get out and take a walk, even if you deep breathe, <laughs> you know, deep breathing or, or expanding your lung fully is a way of, believe it or not, uh, removing waste from the body. Deep breathing also moves the lymph in the lymphatic vessels, which are uh, the lymphatic system is a huge system. It's probably three times as long as our vascular system, and it is carries waste from our body. And it dumps into the cisterna chile, into the abdomen, and it goes out with the stool. But if you're not moving because you're sedentary all day, the lymph does not have a way to move because it is not connected to a pump like the heart. So your vascular system has a pump and it's pumping blood out. Your lymphatic system does not have that. So you really got to move and get the waste out of your body. So that is uh, an incredible system in our body and we have to utilize it to our advantage. So the more you know about how the human body is fit together and what each system does, the better off you are and you can take the proper steps to care for yourself. Any Anything that you can do to maintain your health or improve your health is uh, a step in the right direction. And we have to learn every day. You can't take everything in at one time, but day-by-day improvement and learn what you can be open to learn, be willing, and uh, just be, have an attitude of gratitude when someone shares knowledge with you that is something that's going to help you. So, you know, it's all about our attitude and how we look at things. So, you know, maintain an attitude of gratitude. I like that. So I'd like to share some information with you. We have uh, lots of exciting things happening at the Jewel Network. We have a series of webinars that we are launching, and we had our first webinar on September 16th, and it was very informative. And for those of you who were able to attend, I'm sure you thoroughly enjoyed the information. But we will be having a webinar per month. And if you go to our website, click on events, and you can bring up the menu that will have the title of the webinars from now till, I believe it is, for the next 10 months. And the next webinar is going to be on our water and the state of our water. So you don't want to miss that uh, webinar, which will be held on the last Sunday in September. I believe it is. Let me check out the date. I think it is the 27th of September. Yes. Be with our own Dr. Jewel Pukram, 
And you know, Dr. Jewel is always bringing you the latest and greatest in science and current events. So you do want to tune into that and get the upgrade. Also, we have uh, we're launching the Jewel University, the science, the College of uh, Immortal Life and Living, and we have for our people on the balancing program, Dr. Jewel's Brain Balanced Alliance, which is going to be meeting every day. And these are six-week courses, and the course is from 6 to 7 p.m. It's one hour for the next six weeks. So if you have, um, if you're on Dr. Jewel's balancing program and you are balanced and locked, you are eligible to sign up for this course. So please go to the website and get yourself signed up. You really need to get this knowledge. For those of you who are not on our balancing program, please go to uh, balancingatthejewelnetwork.net and get information on the balancing program. The 21st century is all about brain development. And trust me, you need to be using your whole brain. We cannot afford to use only one-tenth or one-fifteenth of our brain or even one-half. You really want to have... um, Full brain capacity, hemi-sync, so both hemispheres of the brain fully functioning, right and left. Just like we have a right and left hand, we have a right and left foot, we have two eyes and two ears, and if, you, if one of them is affected or afflicted and you can't use it, it, it is at a, uh, you're at a, a deficit, and it's the same.